0: ar-Rahim wa wa sallam. Peace and love. This is Brother Ali. Welcome back to the Travelers Podcast. Really grateful that you're here. Um, we have a really dope episode this week, and we have a really, truly unique individual, Amanda Seals, as our guest. I've known Amanda since maybe 2007, um, maybe a little bit before that. Um, she's, you know, somebody that came up as a hip hop artist and really one of those people who whatever she applies herself to, she's able to find success in that thing. She's done stand up comedy. You know, she's got a, a, a show on HBO, a, a comedy special on HBO. She's uh, got into hip hop music and is on a Q-tip album in 2009, the Renaissance, one of my favorite hip hop albums of all time. Amanda's on that album. And at that time she was going by Amanda Diva. Um, You know, she started hosting shows on a green screen in her basement in Brooklyn when she was living in New York. And she ended up as a VJ on MTV. She ended up on The Real, you know, she ended up, you know, doing all kinds of talk stuff. She got into acting and ended up on Insecure, which is one of the most important, tv shows of our time you know um she can sing and got into singing and ended up you know being uh part of the group flowetry like you know i'm saying iconic group um just really incredible human being one of these people and the thing that you hear us talk about is the fact that she's really been driven by a message the entire time, you know, her message and her, what she believes is important about her voice and about her platform has been uncompromising. She's been somebody that's really publicly vulnerable about her mental health journey. Um, you know, if you go and watch, and and I'm I'm less familiar with a lot of her work and more familiar with just her as a person because as dope as her work is, I get more from watching her interviews and uh, her IG stories and, you know, hearing her talk and, you know, communicating with her over the years because of the fact that her journey has been so specific, but also it's, it's, it's very difficult, you know, to be a person who knows you have a gift, who knows you have a talent and that you have something to say and that you have something that you want to offer the world. The second you start to try to enter the bigger stage, um, it's almost like the world is at war with you. I've seen it happen with a few of my like underground legend friends who try to do that. And that's a very specific type of strength that it takes to be able to navigate that type of war. Because as crazy as it sounds, there's an industry is really... Um, set up for making sure that like nobody's going to break through except for people that we can on their way in, initiate them in such a way that they know that they have to play our game. And Amanda is somebody that I've just seen over and over and over again uh, play her own game and really do it her way. One of the things also that's really amazing to me about Amanda, and I've really learned by doing this show, is that people really hate women who are outspoken about anything and it doesn't really even matter necessarily what they're saying. Um whereas I think it's it's more common for men to be applauded as, you know, I, I'm one of them that like, you know, that I've I've stood up and I've made, you know, a stand for the things that I believe in. And I've always been either ignored or applauded for it. I mean, there are some people that have walked away from me and there are people that were fans that that have told me that they will no longer be supporting and things like that. And I, you know, I've I've had my own sh- my own share of like you know the government harassing me, and, and that's been ongoing. Like that's an ongoing thing. The the FBI came and banged on my door on my birthday and scared my daughters and harassed me about a, a legal trip that I took and a legal conference that is something completely. I I performed at a conference and they came and questioned me about it. The you know the Department of Homeland Security seized funds from me. Um, I've been harassed flying for years and years and years. But when I had Ilhan Omar on my on this program, me and BK1, me and Brendan Kelly, the producer of this show and my partner in it, when Ilhan Omar came on, I had people unfollow me, you know what I'm saying? I had people that are just like, I am no longer, after 20 years of making music, after all this stuff that we've done, I don't mess with you anymore. Just seeing her face show up on the timeline, you know what I mean? And I understand that she's a polarizing person, but I, I, with all of those people, I was like, yo, w- listen to her, watch the episode, because we're not talking about whatever you disagree with her in her political platform. We're talking to a human being who survived a civil war and maybe she might have something to say to us. We're talking to a human being who you know, came to another country as a refugee and ended up becoming a Congresswoman and who navigated all of these amazing things. So. If you're watching this right now and you haven't checked out the Ilhan Omar episode of this podcast, please do that, you know. And in talking to Amanda and, and you know, regardless of what you might hear or might think of the things that she says, for a human being to, to go from being an underground success and say like, no, I deserve to be on a platform and I'm, and I'm going to insist on only working on black platforms. You know, and insist that that this message is going to be at the at the center of it, at the heart of it. Um, those people have the 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 strength that it takes, and then also she's got enemies, and she still, even knowing she has enemies, will go on the Breakfast Club and cry about how hurt her feelings are. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I've learned a lot about about women truth tellers. And for as much as I already respect it, same thing with Jane Elliott. Like watch our episode with Jane Elliott. You know, I've, I've received a lot of backlash for the things that I've said, especially, you know, being a European American person, white bodied, white, whatever. And talking about being, being like vocally anti-racist. I've received a number of, you know, like I said, backlash and things like that. Nothing like what Jane Elliott has experienced. I mean, death threats. Listen to her talk about having to escape listening to her talk about you know not running from her the car to her hotel because she's like if I start running now I'll never stop running I'm going to put my head up I'm going to put my shoulders back and these people that have been threatening to assassinate me at this hotel if they assassinate me they do it but they're not going to they're not going to shoot a running scared person you know what I'm saying so I've learned a lot about that I also want to give a shout out to a a dear friend who's come up on this podcast several times. Her name has come up, Aida Rashid. Uh, I was talking to her about the podcast and she was like, yo, do you know Amanda Seals? You should really have her on. It's like, I do know her. You know what I'm saying? Uh, We are brought to you, as always, by the Zakat Foundation. We're also brought to you by Udimentary by Rezma Menakem and his amazing book, The Quaking of America. But we have a new partner, a new sponsor on the podcast called Mystic Man, all natural beard care products. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. But thank you for being here. Enjoy this conversation with Amanda Seals. Really, really grateful to have you on. You're somebody that has been so empowering for me because I relate, I think, especially to your your deep commitment to your inner calling and to what you're clearly have been put on earth to do. And, you know, there are so many of us that have our purpose in front um, and are struggling to figure out how to bring what we've been gifted to the world in ways that are true. And in ways that are healing and in ways that are powerful and empowering for ourselves and others. And it's really hard to do in an industry that is really antithetical and mm-hmm. built to destroy all of that and beat all that out of a person and to yes. make a person a commodity. And I'm somebody that is not as uh, and diligent as you are. And so seeing how hard you have fought over the years to, to put on. Um, has been really inspirational and instructive for me. And so you're you're somebody that I just really, like I'm so grateful that you're out in the world. You're like a living martyr. You know what I'm saying? Just watching your ego just get kicked in the ass every day. And and for you to just continue to deliver what God has given you Um, and to be so real about it when everybody's attacking you Um, it's just really you're a gift to the world but you're a gift to me personally and I just love and respect you beyond words and so I'm so happy for you to take the time to to be here and to talk
1: hermano ali oh man thank you like it's you know you were saying I'm diligent and it's it's um I haven't thought of it that way I feel like um It's more so that I, it over time becomes a a relief is not the word, but like, so like, for example, sometimes I like, I look at things that other people are doing, right? And I'm just like, oh man, like, that's something I would like to be doing. Um, But then I'll like do a quick process in my mind. And it's like, yeah, but that's not like, but that's not what you're doing. (laughs)
2: Mm.
1: like that thing right there like even though it looks fun or whatever whatever like that's not a part of your your purpose and I think you know you've hear I don't know if you've heard the phrase but people say like well you've all of us have heard this phrase like run your own race you know what I mean and so that for a long time was something that I had to Realize isn't just about like, oh, like stay the course, but to your point, like identify what your purpose is and then like build in that. Mm-hmm. Don't just identify it and keep trying to pivot and move around from it. Like, let that be a grounding point for you to build from and always go back to that as your thesis. And that thesis that you end up going back to, you end up going back to it for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's in moments of self doubt. You know, sometimes it's because you need to, you know, just uh, fortify your confidence. Sometimes it's in defining a narrative for yourself. And I feel like for a lot of what you were saying in terms of just like, you know, me being accosted on this Internet and people just coming at me sideways, it it's taken work. But it's also just become a very um, reassuring, grounding practice to remind myself that uh i didn't arrive at this awareness of my purpose like just by happenstance like it's it's been through great self-exploration and um and being self-critical and you know doing all the things and i think sometimes you just forget that you forget all the work you've done and like that's what ends up bringing you back like every time Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at least that's what my therapist says
0: You know, when I first met you, we met in like the mid two thousands and I met you as an underground MC, Amanda Diva. (laughs) And to be really honest, the first time Where were we?
1: Where we were in the Bay?
0: I think we were in LA or the Bay. It was definitely in California. And we were both playing with Dell. Yes. And I was a bit standoffish to you. Yes. Because you you came and talked to me backstage at a show. I think it was a college gig. And it was. Um, I didn't realize that you were performing. And so you were a pretty woman backstage, and I was trying to be a Muslim. And so I was just like, okay, mind your business, brother Ali. Mind your business, brother Ali. Mind your business, brother Ali. So I think I was just very like, yes, ma'am, nice to meet you. And then and then I saw you do your thing and I was like, oh, artist. Okay. So I think it I came and was like, yo, I didn't clearly. realize you, I didn't realize you were an MC. That was dope. And then we just started. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> at the time I was like, man, you know, so I I was I was even viewing you as a underground independent MC like myself. And you always were really dope at what you were doing. And I could see almost immediately that you were extremely multi-talented. And I, I, oh, wow, thanks. I, because I'm saying like you also like you were doing visual art, like you were doing gra- like you were doing painting. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember for a while you were selling these like really dope hand painted like tote bags and <sighs> other things that you were Listen, doing. Listen,
1: that was paying the rent. Yeah, that was paying the rent. There was a time where every day I would wake up like, OK, I'm going to sell this many tote bags on MySpace today. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how we're going to get to this rent money. That's how we're going to get to this rent money. But I can't believe you remember that.
0: Yeah. And then I remember we moved to Harlem and I remember when you started um, also doing the, the you know, hosting like talk and and mm-hmm. I feel like you were doing podcasting before podcasting was a reality. Like you were doing podcasting yes. on YouTube and MySpace.
1: Yes. And
0: I'll never forget, man, I saw you one time. Uh, you were on a professional platform. I can't remember which one, but this this dude was interviewing you and he was talking to you like how underground independent artists get talked to. Like, yeah, there's famous people here. And then we're letting you be here too. And he was condescending you so bad. And I'm watching this dude like, man, he doesn't know who he's talking to. And he was, he was using the mic and reaching over his body. And you were like, first of all, you took the mic out of his hand. You said, first of all, let's move this to the hand closest to me. So now you don't have to reach across your body. All right. What were you asking me? And it's like yeah man you don't know who you're talking to uh (laughs) you know well uh,
1: that's a memory i didn't that's a memory i haven't thought of in a long time i distinctly remember that yes (laughs) and then so
0: so when you started showing up in these media spaces it's like you know but but the underground independent thing because you know we find we put our message out into the world and when you're underground and independent especially with in social media early social media the people that are looking for what you do find you. And there's something Mm -hmm. very safe about it because people that have been given this charge of like, I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to share what, what God gave me to share in a world that's hostile to this. There's this, there's this thing where we can become really comfortable in our little underground bubble Mm -hmm. because like, as long as I'm in this place, it's, it's relatively safe. People pretty much understand me here. And so, very few of us actually break out of that. And watching you do that has been really amazing. Um, and 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 I've seen you explore so many different avenues and mediums for that. Like I said, music. Like you, you're on the 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 Q Tip record. You know what I'm saying? Taking it back. Yeah, like. <laughs> That was the cra- and I mean your music was fire like as an MC like Thank you know you. the recording and then also the writing and your performance and everything was fire, um, and then you know like I said the the speaking I remember there was a point where um, you connected with a Dipset around an Obama event or something like that. Do you remember this?
1: Well, it's a story. Um... It was that we had, I had done a a gig in Long Island and it was like behind God's back. Like I got a ride out there and I had no idea how I was getting back. Like the DJ who drove me out there like ditched me to like try and get some buns. So I was just there and I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get home. And uh, Jewel's was from 152nd and I was living on 151st. And so his brother had... My homeboy knew them, and when I moved there, my, his, my homeboy had connected me with his brother and was like, Hey, watch out for her, mm-hmm. look out for her. And so, like, they never came at me sideways, they never hollered at me or anything. But, like, anytime his brother was around the way, like, and he saw me, like, he would always show me love, like, he'd buy me some Dominican food, whatever. So, his brother was at the event with him, and they performed. And then I was just standing there, I must have looked like just lost in the sauce. And his brother was like, well, How are you getting back to Harlem? And I was like, I have no idea he was like well you could ride with us but then i'm like "Ooh," because it's like seven of them in a suburban Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i don't he's the only one i'm acquainted with i don't even like know him and in my mind i'm like how many guns are in this car and i'm just like how many registered guns are in this car uh versus just you know blicks and i said you know what you have like you just have to play it You just got to keep your your head on swivel because you need to get back. Mm -hmm. So I'm riding with them in the car. They're also, they're not calling each other nigga. They're calling each other beloved. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. So, um, and there's a dude in the front seat. The driver is like some like Italian man who's not even really paying them any attention. But the dude in the front seat is like this big brolic brother. And he's like pressing the driver like, we need it to turn to this station. Turn the radio to this station. The driver's kind of like, not paying him any mind and he starts really pressing him like we need it on this station now so I'm thinking that they're gonna like I don't know debut a song or something and what ended up coming on was the presidential debate Mm. (laughs) and they were like oh it's on it's on it's on (laughs) <laughs> and they like, yo, you know what I'm saying? I don't really, I don't really nobody like that. I don't really, you know what I'm saying? But like, from what I understand, his fiscal policies is real, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's what you get. That's what you get. But I mean, they rap about guns all day. So it's not, it wasn't a, a long shot. Right. There probably was guns in the car. Um, But that doesn't mean that they, I mean, the way people are ranting about Second Amendments, I'm sure there were guns in the car. And they were also curious about how this Mitt Romney debate was going to go Mm -hmm. but you know i find myself in those types of interesting situations all the time which is why i'm like you're a writer for that reason
0: yeah but and and so you know you um just exploring these different mediums trying to find like what is actually going to be the it seemed like you're trying to find like what's the medium that's going to allow me to offer my gifts to the world in a way that it'll be accepted you know what i'm saying like is that is that a fair observation
1: Yes and no. I mean, honestly, I feel like I just have a certain fearlessness about, like, trying creative spaces. Mm -hmm. And um, I've really just been flexible about, like, when opportunities present themselves. Like, I mean, I started rapping because I was ushering a play at school and my homeboy came and was, like, hanging out with me. And he was like, you ever try rapping? And I was like, no. He was like, you have a good voice. You should rap. Well, all right. And then I started writing rhymes. Um, And I wrote all my rhymes as the fourth member of the Fugees. And then like, you know, spoken word was a thing that was kind of, you know, was burgeoning. And mm-hmm. we had like a talent show at the school. And I couldn't rhyme on beat. But I knew I could write but I could not rap on beat. So it was like, I was trying to rap, but I couldn't rap on beat. And then my homeboy did a spoken word poem. And I was like, oh, oh. it's like, rap.
0: <laughs> I don't have to be on beat.
1: <laughs> I don't have to be on beat. I'm There's making no my own beat. beat. Yeah, yeah. So then that's what got me into spoken word. But it's more, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's just really been me kind of having this like very open mind about just trying creative things. Like I started DJing because I was a, I was a host at Sirius Satellite Radio and I was training DJ Beverly Bond because she was going to work there. Mm -hmm. And I was training her on the equipment and she was like, you know, you should DJ because you know, like every song. And I was like, okay. And then like DJ Envy took me to like, he took, he didn't buy me my turntables, but he haggled for me (laughs) Mm. because he like knew where to go and knew what to say. And so he got them to discount it. Um, And so I got my turntable and started spinning and you know, it's just really been that process as I've gone along. And I think that is attributed to just my mom when I was young, like very early on putting me in a bunch of different extracurricular stuff. And I never, I never felt the pressure of success. Like it was just like, try it. And if you like it, like we'll keep doing it. Um, and so that I feel like is what made me be willing to try stuff. And like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, creatively, there have been things I've tried where it's just like, ah, that eh, ain't it, you know. And I let it go and then try the next thing. But as I've as I've found my voice and know like much more clearly like what not only I want to give but what my audience feels most enriched by. Mm-hmm. Like that's also helped drive like the mediums that i feel like i've nestled into mm-hmm.
0: but in all of them you've been able to you, you've proven that you can at least hold your own in all of them like you're talking about like i said rhyming you end up on a q-tip record like there's not really much for it and then you're like yeah i could <laughs> you know i can sing too and then you're like in flowetry <laughs> you know what i mean and like I, and uh and I, I can spit some poetry and you're on deaf poetry jam like really thoroughly <laughs> hanging with I,
1: be re- I respect these crafts right you know what I mean like I don't dabble like mm-hmm. that's the thing even though I like try different stuff I don't dabble like if I try it I really commit to it like notice how I said like when it was like I want to try DJing I went and bought turntables mm-hmm. like it wasn't like oh let me borrow somebody's stuff and like just play around mm-hmm. like I had the means to at the time so you know there's that as well but it was just like Whenever I step into a space, I commit to it in a real way. And it's not just something I'm, and it's something I'm trying out for the artistry of it, not for whatever other ulterior there is. You know, like I live in L.A. and there's a lot of comics who start doing comedy because they're like, oh, I want to get in front of executives, you know, or I want to get in front of agents, etc. Not because they're like, I really think I can make people laugh. I really love the craft of comedy. And I think for me, it's been a combination of having like an artist, like a a gift of artistry. You know, like how some people are polyglots and they can just pick up a language. Like I can pick up a creative medium fairly easy. Everything but pottery. I cannot do pottery. Okay, I tried it. I can't do it. It's (laughs) and I had to let it go. You got to know your strengths. Um, (laughs) But I also don't call myself something unless I've been paid to do it. Mm-hmm. So like I'm DJing, I, I, I have said, you know, I said for a while, like, yeah, I am DJing, <laughs> but I didn't call myself a DJ until I was getting paid for gigs. Because as an artist, to be able to have that as a livelihood, that is no small feat. And so I take it very seriously if I'm entering an artistic space before I call myself like somebody who is now a contributor to that space versus just somebody who is enjoying that craft.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something I think that that's really informed by a really deep and profound, and operational, and embodied understanding of culture. You know yes. what I mean, and what it means to step into a cultural space. That's yes. something that that's that's you know that can be very rare. You know, what I mean, that people come in and just
1: well, it's values. You know, I think it also just comes back to values, you know, like I really live on a very sturdy and strong value system of honor and of honesty and of authenticity and of love. And when you live from that space, it shows up, you know, in how you in how you show up in any space. And so if those things are the things you stand on, it it doesn't it's not even natural for you to come into some space and not respect the culture of it. Right. And not, um, have an intrinsic awareness of like, how do I honor this space? Mm -hmm. And that can be a performance space. That can be a ethnic space. That can be, um, you know, a spiritual religious space, right? Like I'm not Christian, but I get it, you know, and that's just based on my values. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I get it. At the end of the day, it's like, this life is hard. Everybody needs something. Some people have Jesus. Some people have heroin. Everybody needs something.
0: Some people have both. <laughs> Touche. A lot of our favorite people have both.
1: They have both. Too <laughs> Touche.
0: We've mentioned it week in and week out because the Zakat Foundation, which is a global humanitarian organization that does work all over the world. It's a Muslim organization that seeks to assist and aid human beings in living full lives of complete dignity. You know, basically making good on what we believe about a human being, which is that whether they agree with you, disagree with you, even people that oppose you, you know, um, Muslims have had a difficult time in the Ukraine. This is well known, well documented. But when this, the crisis in the Ukraine began, Zakat Foundation is saying, "Do we know people there? Because also they don't just drop—they don't just drop ship help and aid. Because you can actually harm people by trying to help them if you're not actually connected to the community. So Zakat Foundation had a pro- program, a project, has one to assist in the Ukraine, and there were Muslims that said. Rightfully so, like look at the look at the difference between they, the way that they report on the Ukraine and the way that they report absolute atrocities in Palestine. So why are Muslims helping the people in the Ukraine? Everyone's helping the because and Zakat Foundation stood on the core of our faith, which is that what is in the Quran, Qad bani Adam, certainly every single person in the tribe, the family of humanity, they have a certain level of dignity. They have a certain level of nobility just based on being a human being, no matter what their identity is, no matter what their politics are, what their positions is, no matter what they've done, human beings are made valuable by the creator. So our love for God, our love for Allah, our love for the creator means that we relate to every single person and every single group of people with the, dignif- with the dignity that, that we know that they inherently have. So Zakat Foundation is just a dope organization. Uh, if you follow them on social media, Zakat US, you can see everything that they're doing all over the world. Um, and if you hit them up on their website, Zakat Foundation, you'll be able to follow them. These are people that I know, people that I trust, people that I respect and really grateful also for their support because it's very visionary of them to, to see as an Islamic organization again, wait, why why do we need to hear from Amanda Seals? Why do we need to hear from Jane Elliott? Why do we need to hear from, you know what I'm saying? Uh, The the other artists and, you know, Rezma Menakem, you know what I'm saying? Why do we need to hear from these people? They're not even Muslim. Zakat Foundation understands the importance of culture, the importance of community, the importance of meaning, you know, and that these things are integral to human beings living lives of full dignity. So we're very, very grateful. Uh, to be partnered with the Zakat Foundation on the Travelers Podcast. We've been talking to you for the past few weeks about oud. It's pronounced in, in it's pronounced oud, uh, but we say oud, O-U-D. Oud is, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, uh, you can't compare it to anything in the world. You know, people are are starting to learn more and more about what traditional people have known for a long time, which is that, these natural herbs that grow from the ground, they have tremendous healing properties, you know? So if, if sage is burned, you know, that, that sage can, uh, create, um, you know, a beautiful medicinal, energetic and somatic experience that, you know, clears a space of the energy there that, that also clears the intention that allows for a person to have a reset and for the, experience that's being shared, you know, to to have a reset. The same with things like Palo Santo. Oud is a really, really special product that comes from, it's a tree called aloes wood that grows in Southeast Asia. The tree sometimes will become infected with a fungus. It creates a natural antibody because of fighting this fungus that when that wood is permeated with this antibody. The healing properties of it are tremendous, but the smell is like nothing that you've ever smelled before. And so if the wood is burned, it, the aroma that it gives is medicinal. It's something that, you know, creates really profound bonds between people because of the memories that are associated with smell. And, you know, uh, aloes wood is mentioned in the scripture. It's mentioned in the Bible. You know, this is this is a wood that's been used in ceremonies going back centuries also if the the oil from the wood is distilled it can be worn and a lot of people burn things like incense and a lot of people know the oils that you can like maybe buy on the table that muslim guys sell or that you know maybe sometimes now at like farmers markets and things like that you can buy these oils and those are good but I'm telling you that the same way, like if you if you used to drink Folgers crystals or something like that, or you bought coffee from the gas station and then you go to a really beautiful coffee roaster where they're doing single origin, beautiful coffee roaster, like Port of Mocha, or you're going to Olympia coffee roasters, or you're going to Blue Bottle Coffee, a place like that you you realize like oh i've never tasted coffee until i tasted this yes this is prefer- this is much more expensive than what i used to drink but i didn't realize that i was getting something that was so watered down and truncated so head to udimentary o u d i m e n t a r y udimentary.com they have a whole line of products you know they have somewhere The oud oil, the raw oud oil is mixed in with other things. There are blends there that you can check out. They have things like Kyoto Soul where they blend it with other you know, uh, oud and amber mixes. You can also get medical grade frankincense, which is like nothing you've ever smelled either. And that stuff is pretty inexpensive. They have coffee blends you can buy. But when you get to the point where you start really wanting to mess with like Cambodian, Cambodian oud, you start messing with Thai oud. And you get that little vial of oil, and it's going to be a couple hundred dollars. But I'm telling you, you know, you would that you would spend the same amount on Tom Ford. That's mostly alcohol that has a little trace of oud in it. This is pure, raw, uncut oud. That if you wear it on your body, you will smell it in your clothes. If you burn it, everything around you will smell like this. You know what I'm saying? The scent doesn't leave. There's something really profoundly beautiful about it. So. If you want to step up your aromatherapy, your ceremonial burning of the things that come from nature, if you want to step up the the kind of like somatic and sensory bonding between people, you know, check out udimentary.com, and I'm telling you, the money that you invest, you will experience it, you will know it, you will know why you spent. Again, they have a full spectrum, but trust me, if you want to, if you want to go in the shallow end, you can, but if you go in that deep end, I've had a, plenty of people write to me and be like, yo, uh, I just spent a couple hundred dollars on a bottle of oil of stuff that I've never smelled before. And I'm like, hit me back when you get it. People hit me in the DMs, hit me back when you get it. People writing back to me like, I cannot describe the smell, the sense that, uh, the sensory experience I'm having right now. If you go to udimentary.com, you can also enter the code TRAVELERS and they'll give you a discount. We're very grateful to be joined by Udimentary. You know, one of the things that is, is, is um, out of all these cultural spaces, one of the ones that seems so difficult to navigate is stand up comedy. I mean, there are people that, you know, the general rule seems to be that you need to put in at least 10 years in comedy before you become strong in, in, that, in that particular art form. And I know that comedians can also be, I have a lot of friends that are comedians, like rappers and comedians get along really well. And yes. Then, you know, and it's difficult. Um, and I mean, and they are not easy on each other. The, the, like seeing no. comedians now remind me of what it was like me looking like the Kentucky Fried Chicken Man trying to be a rapper in the 80s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, I, I might have to fight somebody here. And that's like I completely understood that. Like, right. yeah, I should I should if I'm going to be here, bleeding might be part of it. And I might need yep. one, but somebody else is going to bleed too. I'm not going to be the only one bleeding <laughs> in here. But bleeding might be part of me being able to, to have a chance to do this thing. And seeing comedians is like the closest that I've felt to that, that kind of energy. And so what was it like for you going into that comedy space and not, you know, like you didn't go through that whole process of the 10 years in the club and trying to get in and do open mics and then get on at the, you know, it, your your trajectory I mean, I, seems to be different.
1: Well, I think there's a couple reasons. The biggest reason my trajectory was different is because of in my opinion where I was in my self-awareness when I entered into the comedy space because comedy is the rawest form because it's you converting your darkness into light. Right? So as far as art forms go, like and you're doing that without the help of anything There's no beat. There's no melody. Like it's literally it's alchemy. And so by the time I aspired to do that, I already knew the tools of my of my. I already knew the tools of my metals (laughs) that I was working Mm -hmm, with. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like so I had already known my voice. I knew myself. I knew the the world that I was in very clearly Um, And so I wasn't trying I wasn't like seeking out that while I'm on stage. And so that's why I feel like I was able to make a lot of headway very quickly because I already knew how I was showing up. A lot of people start stand up a lot younger. So they're going through that whole transition and, you know, adult adolescence at the same time that they're trying to find a voice on stage. And that's why you see a lot of comics who just weren't funny and then they just get funny. You know, and it's they they cracked a code of themselves and that's how they got to that. So like for me, hip hop was a harder, definitely a harder environment mm. because of just my maturity level, also being a woman and also just having a certain, how do I say this? Also having a certain appreciation for intellect that I feel like a lot of my peers in the space did not have. Mm. And it was like this, you know, like the whole, like, it's cool to be smart thing. Like that wasn't the way, like that wasn't, you know, that just wasn't the vibe in a lot of spaces. (laughs) It was like, if you're smart, you're, you're showing out. You know, you're trying to, it's like, oh, you a smarty art nigga. can you kick my ass? You know, and then right, on top right, of right.
2: that, <laughs> like, on rocks. top of
1: that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you a woman. It's like, who the fuck this bitch thinks she is? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. SAT words and shit. You know what I mean? Like, so that that was something that was kind of, I mean, I, I get that to, that to this day, right? Like, to this mm-hmm. day, it's like, you know, you just trying to use big words to make me feel dumb. And it's like. No, I'm trying to big, use big words to make me feel good about the amount of money I spent on these degrees. This mm-hmm. is for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. for you. Um, right. But so in the comedy space, I, I the other reason is the other reason I excelled fast in comedy is because I had already been in these other hostile spaces, mm-hmm. so I was able to do a quick read of what I needed to do and what I didn't need to do, and I was able to ask the right questions you know, early, faster because of just my level of maturity and my awareness. So, you know, I'm a very big believer that you can't skip steps, but you can speed them up. I did open mics. I just ain't doing it for an extensive, long time. I mean, I, I knew I don't need to be here with these folks who, a lot of open mics are just a lot of not funny white dudes being racist and misogynist and anti-Semitic and all the things mm-hmm. because they're not funny. Right. I don't need to sit here and put myself through that. You know, then I remember Damian Lemon. He was like, I was telling him that, um, you know, people were asking me to do these shows where I like sell tickets to the show and then I get to be on the show and he was like, yeah, you don't need to do that. So like a seasoned comic is telling me that that's a step, that's a step I don't need to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll take that. But I, I realized very quickly the key to this is mingling. Hanging out. The key to stand-up is hanging out. Well, guess what? I hate hanging out, Ali. Okay? Mm-hmm. um, I am not... I am an extroverted... I'm an introverted extrovert. Yeah. Like, I have the capability to be an extrovert, but it's not something that I like to do with strangers. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was the hardest part of stand-up for me. It wasn't the stage. It was the hanging out part and mm-hmm. having to, like, start from scratch with people. And establish a rapport in a space where people had already been established and I think for all intents and purposes my authenticity and my genuine genuineness is what really has been the key to me being able to do that quickly because it feels so good every time folks like Guy Tori and Chris Spencer and you know Chappelle and Chris you know Wanda Sykes, like when they affirm you, because like you know that those are the people that were here and created the space for you to even step in. And when the people, when your peers may not fuck with you, if the elders rock with you, mm-hmm. pa- Paul Mooney said I'm good.
0: Oh, you got the Mooney cosign. Oh, I got you're... the Mooney cosign. She's funny. Oh, I she's... mean that's the goal. She she makes the goal for me <laughs> uncomfortable. And I love
1: it. <laughs> yes, I opened for Paul Mooney, and he gave me the cosign. And, you know, if you got Chris
0: Chris Spencer and Paul Mooney, then there's really nobody else that can say anything to you.
1: But what I love about comedy that I never that I hated about music Mm -hmm. was that there's only one bottom line. Are you funny? Music, people be like, I really liked your energy, you know, or yeah, like her production was really good. Or, you know, people can come up with a million things that really ain't got shit to do with like. Are you nice? You right, know what I mean? Right. And even if you ain't nice, there's a million things that can be done right. to make you not being a dope MC matter. Yeah. Um, in stand-up, you either funny or you're not funny. If you're not funny, it's a wrap. And,
0: and there's a very measurable metric for that. Like if the room is laughing, then you're funny. <laughs> if they're not yes. laughing, then you're not funny. It's it's almost yes. like, you know, for, for people of color going into the SAT test, it's like, okay, this is all going to be my bias, but the math is the math.
1: The math is the math. Let's
0: see what's up with this math.
1: Numbers Mm -hmm. are going to be what they are. Yeah, T.I. learned that. Quick.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's a difficult thing. You know, it's interesting. Like, I I feel like the comedians are all, like, there's nothing that they love more than T.I. getting into comedy. You know what I mean? Like, they're all like, yo! Like, they just can't wait to see What's going to happen with, you know what I mean, with T.I. With, with and comedy? I
1: would have appreciated, I, I appreciate anybody coming into any space that honors the space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel like, you know, the thing about comedy that you learn very fast is that this here is its own world. It has its own set of etiquette. You know, it has its own hierarchies. Um, it's, and it's, and they're not for no reason. Because, right. you know, sometimes when you see that shit, you're like, it's oh, bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm about to change right. this up. But in this space, no, it, it actually has value. Mm-hmm. And what I really loved about coming into this space was that the elders in comedy, there was a respect that was expected. But there was also an exchange that was expected. Like, it wasn't just kiss the ring. It was, now let me impart to you some wisdom. You know, and you were you were expected to come and seek that out if that person was there and they were expected to give it to you. And that is something that I really feel like we as a black community could do better at, you know, in all these spaces. Like I hear stories a lot of times with folks just being like, damn, like I feel like I'm being hazed, you know, in certain realms, and certain spaces by the people who are already there versus like, let me let me reach back. Let me reach. Let me like share this. To, to make your journey better, mm-hmm. and also to make your advancement advance the next person. So that's something I've really appreciated about the comedy space.
0: You know, and of course, I know you know this, forgive me for speaking about something you understand better than me, but I mean, those those things that exist right now that you're talking about, the hazing instead of the healing and, and nurturing, I mean, those are obviously, those are really intentional elements of white supremacy and the the reality of of racism in America that those, those things and a lot of those are things that you have bumped up against and as somebody who admires you so much you know seeing you know things like colorism you know what i mean uh, be such a part of your damn journey it's like man you know these are things that slave uh, you know owners and slave uh enslavers like intentionally built into the constructs yes. in in this in this culture or in this lack of culture what passes for culture you know
1: I mean, I had somebody tell me today. I had somebody tell me today. Mm. Uh, wait, let me read the. I'm going to read the excess screenshot of it because I was like, we're still doing this. <laughs> I had somebody tell me today. Because um, I, I had put out a video that showed like some index cards with different topics that I'll be talking about in my tour. Because mm-hmm. I'm about to go on tour, the Black Outside Again tour. I'm very excited to be back on stage. And so I have put out some of the topics I'll be talking about. So like some of the topics in there included deep vagina, um, (laughs) text message, uh, text message committee. And in there it said light-skinned revolutionaries. Mm. So someone responded and said, light-skinned revolutionaries trying to go extra hard to compensate for their own insecurities and self-hate about their origin. Mixed race people can't lead so-called black people. And so I responded with a list of Black individuals on the lighter side who have contributed significantly to this movement. And he said, I said what I said. Don't try and overcompensate. They all still half breeds. Can't lead a nation when you have identity issues. Got the blood of the master in you. Probably hate yourself. You stay looking for a hug from the white man. I'd be like, how do people find my page? And you know- then I I see something like that and I feel I feel pity for that person mm. because they're projecting onto me their own identity issue because mm. if you truly understand the black history of this country you understand that there's there's part of the history of us and the tyranny that we have suffered is the fact that we do have forced um
0: yeah. How, what's the word I'm looking C- for? Centuries of legal rape. I mean, forgive me for saying it. Lisa, there we go. It's like- Thank
1: you. Centuries of legal rape. Mm-hmm. So like to act, to try and shame people, uh, whether that's been a result of, whether their light skin is a result of that or not, and make it seem as if they are no longer a valid part of a community mm-hmm. that they are a valid part of. I mean, I don't know that colorism is the proper word because it's basically like, it only works one way in terms of how oppression works, but it is a, very frustrating, ostracizing from a community that you know that you're a part of and that you love.
0: I mean, you're so am I understanding correctly? Your mother's from Grenada. Mm-hmm. And your father is African-American, like from the U.S., like from mm-hmm. Boston. Boston and... Roxbury. Where, where before Boston?
1: Um, like his his people, people are from are, Arkansas.
0: Okay, Arkansas. Sounds like Malcolm X is... Uh,
1: well, Malcolm. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, mean, Malcolm, Malcolm X's X's was mother a, was a was light-skinned from woman from Grenada, and his father was a you know a dark-skinned man from from Georgia. Very similar, and I mean, you know, the honorable Elijah Muhammad is very was very light-skinned, and so Correct. many of the people that we you know so many of the people that Perhaps. have given us the
1: Huey P. Mm. <laughs> like you know Kathleen Cleaver. We can we can do mm. this all day you know
0: a- Angela Davis and i have to... a
1: joke about it in my mm. show that's mm. why it's called that's why the bit is light-skinned revolutionaries so but you got to come to the shows so Man. go to dot and get your tickets
0: <laughs> you know and and i mean this stuff is like it's very explicit it's not like this is like a byproduct of what happened in like these things were intentionally constructed to control enslaved people and to make them fight against each other and, and to destroy yes. any opportunity. You know, I was just reflecting on the fact that with the, the counterintelligence program with COINTELPRO, like J. Edgar Hoover, as the head of the FBI, intentionally, intentionally stated that, you know, that we're going to try to destroy the uprising of a black messiah. Mm-hmm. And you think about, like, I was talking with Amir Suleiman, a great poet, like, you know, what is the messiah? And what does it mean to be against a Messiah? Like, you're, you're basically saying, like, yo, I'm the Antichrist. I'm the devil. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the devil. But also Some- praise
1: Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like- Somebody
0: that's going to come along and unite people, that's going to engender love between people. Like, it literally, by government policy, even up to this day, it's like, you know, it's illegal for black people to love themselves and each other. It's illegal mm-hmm. for for people to, to be together. Yep. Yeah, it's such a um... and it's
1: only going to get worse.
0: Hmm.
1: It's only going to get worse before it gets better. And I believe that largely in part because so many of us believe them. Hmm. Um, I mean, I have theories, but my biggest I, not my biggest, but one of my theories is that, you know, one of the most effective things that they did was was take from us a spiritual base. when Mm -hmm. black people were brought here Mm -hmm. um and provide us with their own spiritual base and i'm not to say that there have not been incredible you know positive things that have come from you know christianity being brought into the black world but i think in terms of its in the reason for why right and the inception for why uh is not from a place of giving us love i mean there's you know, if you read Sam from the Beginning by Ibram Kendi and he talks about just like mm-hmm. how racism actually started, you know, they were really like, well, if we say that, like, if we try and save their souls while we have them enslaved, then it's kind of like counterproductive. So then they would just like made up like, well, then you can't save sl- slaves. You can't save slaves souls. That, may- that works for us. And so, you know, there's a moving goalpost on righteousness because at the end of the day, that wasn't the goal. The goal is greed. Mm-hmm. The goal is greed. And they literally used religion to serve their greed because they because god for them is greed
2: mm.
1: you know and once we were brought over here and that and and what we believe in was stripped from us it was only a matter of time before we began truthfully you know believing in their god and i feel like you know there have been a lot of positive gains that have come from desegregation but one of the biggest negatives in my opinion is it really centered for a lot of black folks the goal of white opulence and of white gain as mm-hmm. their God. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, until we as a people, and I don't know how long that could take to happen, bless you, you know, that could be centuries, you know, but until we as a people, I feel, um, have a shared. Power have a shared spiritual base that is more powerful than that. Like we'll continue to face these types of um oppressions at the hands of these folks because so many folks that so many folks have have literally internalized the individualism of colonialism and capitalism in such a real way that they are black by. They're Black by race, but not by ethnicity. Mm.
0: You know, and that's one of the things that I've loved so much about watching and just observing your kind of like sojourn into the world of um, of popular culture. Because it's very clear from the very beginning, like, you know, when you were fighting your way into the hip hop space, fighting your way into the poetry space fighting your way into comedy fighting your way into media from the very beginning it's been it's been very clear that this wasn't about being famous and it no. wasn't about um you know achieving somebody else's con- conception of what success is but that you know for truly free artists it's like not only are we trying to create art but also create the environment and yes. create a world like this art is representative of us reshaping the world and and claiming even just the audacity to have the ability to imagine like that you know what i mean and then yes stepping into all of these spaces like this will be done on my terms based on what i know to be best for for us and well i'm
1: in i'm in a pivot in that right now mm-hmm. because So Insecure, you know, I did five seasons on Insecure and that was a very like integral, you know, turning point in my career and in breaking me into a more mainstream um, audience. And even if it's just a mainstream black audience, like it really, you know, did uh, level up my visibility, Mm -hmm. but it never changed my messaging. Um, But it did level up my visibility. Mm -hmm. And so we wrapped after five seasons and, you know, incredibly successful show And you start exploring, like, well, what's the next step, right? And in Hollywood, the very natural next step is, well, you got to sell your own show. That's what you got to do. You got to sell your own show. Mm -hmm. So I started on this path of, well, okay, I need to get a production deal, and I got to sell my own show because Ali, that's what everyone does. Like that is the thing. And for so long, Mm -hmm. I've like just been like, no, like I don't know, like that's not my. Like I've just really like been arms linked with it. But then I finally committed last year to like no I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone. I'm going to sell a show. And I committed to that for a year. And I have a live show Smart Funny and Black that I've been taking all over the nation for the past um 5 years. It's incredibly successful. We've built it up from the ground up and it is a completely grassroots venture that is rooted in creating a safe space for black love and black celebration through music and laughter. Mm-hmm. That's it. So it's a game show on the surface, but that's the whole purpose of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I became I got in striking distance of selling this show to a major network for a Juneteenth special. And they gave us pennies to do the show. And I'm not sitting here that I'm not thinking this is going to make me rich, but it should at least, especially considering the names of who's involved Mm. and how much money they're going to be able to make off right, of it
0: right i'm not here for the money but since there's money going around then what's rightfully mine should come to me that's, i'm just here for that, what i deserve that's not greed that's justice <laughs> that's not greed <laughs> that's, that's justice. <laughs> justice and that's a spirit justice is a spiritual truth greed is a spiritual lie justice is a spiritual truth so the fact that there's money involved meaning that you as the as the creator and the, and and the one who's you know putting forth the the you know the the the, the effort yeah, the vision the vision and 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 it's it's coming from yourself and all your experiences and all your ancestral you know resources and all of this stuff so if there's money then it's a spiritual truth justice is a spiritual truth yeah
1: so they wouldn't i mean and we you know you're trying to play fair and everyone's like mm-hmm. we you know we just got to get over the hump we just got to get over the hump and eventually they they wouldn't negotiate they literally gave, you know they gave us their first offer was their final offer mm-hmm. no and i walked and, away.
2: Mm.
1: I walked away from it and it it was the first time though that i walked away and like like had anger about it. You know, there's like there's been times where i walk away from stuff and i'm like whatever, you know, but i felt angry about this. Mm. <laughs> and and i said to myself, you can't you can't do shit this way mm-hmm. because this would mean that you're signing up for your art to be based on other people's yes in order for it to get out. And you have always been ardently opposed to that. And it's completely counterintuitive to your ideas of revolution. So because the people who you are looking to get to get access from aren't even people that deserve your work.
0: That's right. (laughs) That's right.
1: So I had to like really have a. I had to really like. Do some self-exploration. And realize, like, Amanda, you got to come back to the middle. And what that means is, is that you need to solely focus on building your audience Mm -hmm. by continuing to do authentic work. And that may mean you need to do more of it, right? So I need to just create more content. I need to get more organized with my team about how we're disseminating, you know, this art and this messaging, et cetera. I need to create more safe spaces, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I need to work smarter about it. But what I really had to realign myself with was the fact that the most revolutionary thing I can do as an artist is create safe spaces for my creativity that Mm -hmm. other people come into. And that will grow as long as I'm committed to that. If you build it, they will come. And some people like that's not their That's not necessarily their vision That's not their vibe so be it But I know for me that's the only way I can continue to create In a space that feels good And that You know what I mean That feels good that doesn't feel like I'm draining That's why I had to leave music I had to leave the music business Because it felt like I was just pouring out And not getting poured into And it felt this And it was just like this is not a sustainable means Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just yeah. not, like it's not sustainable. Yeah. yeah. And so, even though I am back to like 2017, Amanda, right now, and it's just like <laughs> creating content all day and everything, you know, like everything I look at is like, is that content? Like, you know, and just it feels very organic and it feels like a very noble purpose. Mm-hmm. And that that is a driver. And so even getting to go back on tour, you know, we haven't been able to be in the world. So it feels so beautiful to like, get to get back on stage. I am entering a different world than I left in 2019. Mm-hmm. um, in 2020 with this pandemic, but yeah. I'm very excited to get back on stage and to, you know, my brand of comedy is, is, um, you know, laughter through learning. So mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, if you, if you come in for the silliness, like, you're only, you're going to get silliness in the context of intellectualism, right? Man. Like, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the, the bits that I've been developing. And, you know, the thing about stand up and about comedy too, once you've created that safe space is like, it's like magic every time, every time it's like when you, I don't know if you watch Harry Potter, but every Harry Potter, Harry Potter never gets bored of magic. He's always just like, can you believe this? Look at this magic. Oh my God. <laughs> this right magic is amazing he's never not surprised by magic even he's though never he's mad an incredible at magic. wizard yeah never mad at magic incredible wizard but every time he's like look at that that's how i feel about being a stand-up and being a comic and like when my mind will go places and i'm like <gasps> look at that <laughs> look at that <laughs> I, can, I can still do that look at that <laughs>
0: magic <laughs> so excited you know, and it's something that for me, you know, like I said, I constantly coming back to observing you, and the spaces that you navigate, and the the way that you do it, is that one of the things that I admire most is your ability to be, to to continue to go back, and to to have that like level of resilience, but also to be so human and so vulnerable about what this process is doing to you that's the part that's the part to me that like i know people that do it so like i'm in friends especially my comedian homies and i have i have friends that tell me all the time like yo uh, mo amr the comedian is a really dear friend of mine and i've mm-hmm. known him since he was just a chubby muslim guy doing comedy for muslims and then he started touring with dave and then he got his own two specials and he's a his tv show coming out and from the very beginning he's like yo the other day i met this great mc And I told him about you and he already knew about you and he knows you're dope. (laughs) And so he keeps coming to me. Like our whole, our whole friendship is him being like, why don't you try to be famous? And I've told him before, I'm like, look at what Amanda is going through. (laughs) Like, look at, look at what she's going through. Like, dude, like, like I've, I've, I've seen and heard you talk about, and there's times where I've reached out to you just being like, Hey, I love you. I see you. Cause we don't talk regularly. So I don't feel like I should be like, yo, I heard you say that you wondered if like I can't change the way I am. And the world does not seem to F with me the way that I am. And so why bother? I'm offering. So why be in this world? And like I know that feeling. And so for me, I'm just like, okay, I'll move around. I don't like to, I I don't I have this thing where I'm like, I'm I'm not gonna do this. And so seeing you show up and be so diligent about it, but then also so open about what it's doing inside you, all the while knowing that people from inside the community and outside are attacking you, like you're being vulnerable while being attacked. Like what type of spiritual practice is that? (laughs) No, seriously, like that's like... You know what I'm saying? Like, you're telling people, like... Hey, I feel
1: like that's the weapon. That's my weapon. Uh, is just honesty.
0: Uh, uh, uh,
1: like, that's mm. my armor. I mean, I'm not... I don't know if you watch the Avatar. I
0: don't but- watch anything. I can't... I'm-, I'm, like, partially blind, so I don't watch anything. Okay. But I- well, I'd love to hear you tell me about it.
1: So, in the Avatar, Avatar Aang is challenged with... How is he going to beat the fire king the king of the fire nation the fire nation is there's the earth nation air water fire and the fire nation is like a a worthy opponent now Aang is the avatar he's this the chosen one And he's able to wield all of these different elements. And we spend the whole series watching him learn how to wield all these elements to save the world. That's his purpose. Mm -hmm. But I believe that Aang can save the world, okay? That's what what they say in the beginning of the thing, Mm -hmm. right? So at the end, he goes through a whole crisis of like, how do I do this without inflicting the same violence on this person? That I want that 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 he's inflicting on the world. Look, how do I right? How do I save the world without being the same as yes. the thing that's hurting the world?
0: Right, right, right.
1: And so, you know, spoiler alert: um, we watch him. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't watched it by now, it's too I mean, yeah. But yeah, we yeah. we we watched him. We watch him like he goes into a solitude place to try and figure this out. And what he realizes is that. It's not going to be about eradicating this person from the earth. It's about eradicating their power to hurt. And he figures out that the way that he can eradicate this person's power to hurt is through basically draining their darkness with his light. (laughs) Like drowning their darkness Mm -hmm. with his light. Mm -hmm. And that is how he ends up saving the world. And so Fire Lord Sozin ends up keeping his life but he's drained of his power that he's been misusing, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. That
1: he's been, you know, misappropriating. And that was such an, it's an incredible series, but that was such an incredible metaphor for, like, you know, just the effort that we take to, like, challenge this, these these egregious opponents, whether it's, you know, these Republicans who are so dedicated to harming people, um, whether it's you know, the people online who are just trolls. But for me, it's like in those particular spaces. I don't. I don't make them any less who they are by becoming them.
0: Right. Yes.
1: I I can only just be a bigger version of me a truer, realer version of me. And so the the best way to do that is to become just more vulnerable. And vulnerable doesn't in this mean, in this context, vulnerable doesn't mean weak.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't
1: mean, you know, becoming more of a target. It just means becoming and speaking truer to myself.
0: And being and more whole. sticking to that. Yeah. Yes. So like, these are very important parts of me. And so bringing them into mm-hmm. the, it's just showing up as a more complete version of self. So it's really deep. You know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that, this whole thing with like Muslims beheading people is that they came across some early opponents that they had to meet on the battlefield. Like there wasn't a way around it. And so these people, when they caught up with some Muslims, they killed them and beheaded them. And so there were some Muslims that caught up with them and beheaded them. And so the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, what are you doing? Like, what? And they said, messenger of Allah, they did it to us. And he said, our enemies are not our teachers. Like these people. You mean he didn't say if
1: they gonna jump off a bridge, you gonna jump off a bridge too? He didn't say that.
0: (laughs) 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 But like they're not our teachers, you know what I mean? Our
1: enemies. That's why they say like you can't use the master's tools Mm -hmm. to undo his building. Mm -hmm. Like, like I mean, because it's so easy for so many. I mean, my father is a complete waste of time, but he's given me some, some, some morsels ever so often throughout this life that I've been, that have been worthy of repeating, and. One of the things he had said to me one time, he was like, you know, because I had called him because I have a certain level of precognition that I was just like, is this what does this run in our family? Like, at this point, I need to know. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, yes, it does. But he was like, that's also attributed to the fact that you're an artist and you work from a God place where you can create something from nothing. And he was like, a lot of people simply don't have the ability to you know, see, not in the literal sense, but to see in the vibration sense and able to do do that, right? And so Mm -hmm. he was like, so the fact that you have such an openness to be able to see in that way allows you to see even further in terms of like your connection to, you know, this earth and, you know, energy, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like, so that's allowed me to... Tap in and identify different tools in a way that I feel like a lot of people may not be able to because they need things to be so in front of them. they need things to be so written they need the grid, you know because they don't even they don't trust themselves enough, you know, and they don't trust the energy enough to identify something else that hasn't already been shown to them, so it's just easier to copy what's been shown to them. So many mm-hmm. people's idea of freedom is to just have the freedom to oppress as their oppressor
0: right. Amir Suleiman said. Are you familiar with Amir Suleiman? He's on the new Robert Glasper album.: uh,
1: I know yes, I know the name. Oh, I was man. also on a Robert Glasper album, by the way, so I feel like oh. in great company.
0: All right, all right. Amir Suleiman is the greatest living poet. I say that with all due respect to all of the other poets, but uh, man, Amir Suleiman is somebody that I hold really. He said, they claim to hate the devil, but they're just jealous instead. They yes, want, they want the devil's crown. I want the devil's head. They mm-hmm. want the devil's throne. I want the devil dead. Yeah, this is like yeah, this is, you know Amir I, I, Suleiman. Amir Suleiman, he's somebody I talk about yes. all the time, and also Resma Minnakin. But yeah, but Resma was were you on his show? Or he was he Yay! was on yours.
1: he was on my show. He was on my podcast. Yeah, Shout man. to Resma, that's the brother right there.
0: Yeah, man, really special, really special. Yeah, you know our enemies. But are not on my teachers. podcast.
1: Mm. But on my podcast, Resma, we ended up having to do a part two because like at the end of the podcast. I asked like one question that ended up opening up like a portal of emotion for Resma that ended up being a whole other conversation from what we were talking about for the first half of the podcast. And it ended up being him really actually speaking about his own trauma. Um, And the first half of the podcast was us talking about America's trauma. But then the second half of the podcast ended up being about him talking about his own trauma and how... He had to get through that to get to the ability to be able to identify America's trauma and write about it and, you know, really discern the ways in which we can, as individuals, work through our own trauma. You know, and it was just, it was really, he's a cancer, so I knew he was going to cry because that's just part of our makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, mm. I told him, I was like, I know you feel some type of way that you cried on this podcast, but you, it was going to happen. It's two cancers talking about emotions. It was above you.
0: Well, I'm I'm a Leo and I'm a public crier as well. And I identify <laughs> really strongly with you as a public crier. You must crier. have something
1: else. You must have something else in your chart though because that's not a Leo thing. I'm mm. curious what your rising and your moon is.
0: I mean, I... I Leos I, don't I, be
1: crying. Leos cry for the sake of... Le- like, full Leos cry because they're like, look at me, I'm crying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this amazing? <laughs> uh, <I'm- laughs> look at look this. At- I am the alpha crier, <laughs> yes! and I cry, yes! and, I, and I cry better and wetter and louder than all the yes.
1: Other men. Yo, yes, yeah. Uh, I always laugh because Carl Thomas on his song "Emotional," he literally one of his ad libs is like, "Look at me, I'm crying!"
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh Every God. time I hear
1: it, I'm like, "We, we see, yes." <laughs>
2: Look at me! Oh my god! Yeah,
0: you know, I, 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 I need to get the acapella of that and just put it on a button for 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 for, for this show. Because man, yeah, the, yes. the, the the level of me, and I, I actually stole a phrase from a sister of mine, where she will sometimes come into conversations and say, "I'm gonna cry, but I'm good. Like it's mm-hmm. it, you don't have to worry about me. Like I'm I'm gonna cry because that's what I do. You know?" What yes. It's isn't it such a trip that like we apologize when we cry in this in this society. Well, because
1: we know it makes people uncomfortable because in this society it's like you cry and you're like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I, mean, I remember crying in front of my homeboy and having to be like, come over here and put your arm around me. He was like, Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it wasn't like it wasn't like he hesitated. Like once I told him what to do, he did it, right? But like in that moment, it was just like, well, she's there and she's crying. And I uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss. I, yeah.
0: <laughs> comfort me. Oh, man. Comfort me. Yeah. Like, where do, my, where do I put? So I put a hand on your, on your, it's on your very
1: back.
0: And Talladega I Nights. It. I move it around. I don't,
1: I don't, yeah. I don't know what to do with my uh, hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And it's a very Amanda thing uh, to have Resma on your podcast and actually become his therapist. <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm totally a therapist. Uh, please. <laughs> you're like, pushing, I really
1: feel like I have. You're like
0: pushing, pushing tissues towards him, like, yes, please. And how did please. that make you feel? Correct. All right, new sponsor on the show. This is a product that I love. This is a product that I've used. This is, again, somebody that I know. The people that we have as partners on this podcast are extensions of the podcast itself. This is a product called Mystic Man. Uh, Mystic, if you go to mystic-man.com, you can check out their full line. This is a line of products for men's grooming and hair care, specifically dealing with beards. When you order their product, they use Sacred Cedar, Organic sacred cedar that has properties that are profoundly beautiful. That that uh, promote hair growth. That promote skin care. Um, you know they also have uh, properties like that. That raw cedar has healing properties. Has spiritual properties. Has energetic realities that come along with it. Also, you get a handmade wooden brush like beard comb. The idea behind Mystic Man, and it's my brother, you know what I'm saying, Iranian-American brother, Justin Mashouf, who's also a B-boy, who's also a documentary filmmaker. He's somebody that I've been in community with for years and years. I've known him for probably 15 years or maybe even more. Um, But the idea of Mystic Man is that, you know, we talk a lot about masculinity and and as as we should, you know, and for the Muslims specifically, what we talk about is, Prophetic masculinity or sacred masculinity. That when men are abusing people, when men are, you know, uh, in for, like forcing themselves on people, or when men are being toxic in situations and in spaces, that's actually not masculinity. It's our belief that that is a counterfeit masculinity. The same way that lust is counterfeit love, the same way that, you know, that there are people that might confuse uh, things that, that, without wisdom, you would think that these are you know, part of the same spectrum. But the reality is that to harm people, to abuse people, to to use your your power, to harm other people is actually a betrayal of, of true masculinity. And so um, this idea of being a mystic man means that what what real masculinity, is something that grows out of a deep commitment to humbling oneself, to disciplining the ego, to love and service of others, uh, to loving and and learning from and being in community with people, um, and uh, learning from them and teaching them and pouring into them and receiving from them, you know, to to really being in community, to really practicing. To having a deep practice of love and service, that this is what it actually means to, to exemplify what it really is to be mystic man, you know, to not be driven by our lower desires, to not be uh, people who act to harm others, out of fear and, and, you know and out of, um, out of fear and out of ego, you know, but that genuine masculinity comes from a deep adherence to virtue, to the highest virtues, to the highest respect, to the highest dignity and love, et cetera. So this is the idea behind these products. And that, you know, one of the things that we've seen throughout the people that, you know, the different services and community members that have supported this podcast is that that is absolutely connected to grooming and to presenting ourselves in ways that are beautiful, you know, there are times that I get on camera here and I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to rock and I'm going to show up the way that I am in day-to-day lives. And then there are other times, you know, that I, that I actually do step it up a little bit because there is a reality that there's a connection in chivalry. The If you look at the way that samurais were, samurai were trained. If you look at the ways that, um, you know, that people who go through these rites of passage in true culture, in original indigenous cultures, that, The way that we present ourselves is actually part of service to others, to service to the group, serving the meaning of of what we're here to do and what it means to be us. You know, it's not about peacocking. It's not about, you know, trying to outshine other people. It's not about flexing. It's about contributing to an atmosphere and an environment and to a culture that reminds us to to and encourages us communally to be the best of who we are. So if you head to mysticman.com, mystic-man.com, you can check out their full line of of products. Uh, again, when you order their their joints, they come beautifully packaged and they come with a handmade organic wooden brush. You know, and the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him was very intentional about the things that he owned but he owned a brush and he always carried a brush with him and he actually named the things that he owned he had a relationship even with objects that people would think are inanimate but he had, he lived in relationship with all of these things so you see these you know these young people looking to really provide opportunities to to give not only products but to really encourage a growth in our outlook and in our approach to the things that might seem mundane. But with a shift in intention and attention, we can elevate mundane things to actually being sacred based on the way that we treat them. So check out mystic mancom Enter travelers in the coupon area and you'll get a discount and let them know that I sent you. Rezma Menakem is a extremely unique and I think crucial and vital voice In the conversation that we've been having in this country about the reality of the highly charged topic of race, of racialized violence, of racialized, you know, of white body supremacy. This is a conversation that's been raging since the very beginning of this nation, uh, of America. And, you know, there are people that'll say, well, like, why do you make it about race? Resma didn't make it about race. I'm not making it about race. When they wrote in the constitution that black people are three fifths of a human being, you know, when uh, slavery became an institution based on race, when land ownership and when having full rights became, this is in the founding of America. This has been the reality of America the entire time that America has been America. You know, when there are, you know, Supreme Court cases about whether or not uh, black people can go to school, whether or not black people can, you know, be in public, whether or not black people can be murdered without, you know, or, and raped, you know what I'm saying, legally. And the answer was that black people didn't have any rights in America for the first half of it. And then after that, you had what they called separate but equal, which is Jim Crow, Jane Crow, you know, uh, you had terrorism, uh, you know, white terrorism for, for you know, legally where as many people as were killed in 9-11, that we recognize that as being a terrorist attack, that same number of people were lynched in America during reconstruction and with almost no uh, accountability, with almost nobody being prosecuted for it. It didn't even become illegal in many states to lynch black people until very, very recently you know and then you all you only you know in 1964 65 start to have bills saying that black people have rights and if you you know but that still isn't a reality you know and we still have these you know cases and so this is the reality of america and so resma's contribution to this conversation around healing with the intention of healing for everybody involved resma is a therapist, he's a social worker, he's a racialized trauma expert that deals with trauma in the body for individuals, for couples, for families. You know, I saw him with me and my my son saw him together. And so Resma has written a book called My Grandmother's Hands. It's a New York Times bestseller. And also the new book is called The Quaking of America. And both of them are available and along with his classes and workshops and speaking and writing on his website resma r e s m a a dot com so head there check it out also watch two episodes listen to two episodes one, my conversation with resma menkin as a friend as a brother, as my therapist as my teacher and then the the following week uh I had to do an individual episode where I just sat down and just kind of unpacked some of the thinking and, and experience that I've been having since that particular conversation on, on uh, this mic with Resma. So very grateful to be in partnership with Resma Minikim, head to resma.com, Check out my grandmother's hands in the quaking of America.
1: I learned from therapy about myself and then also how to therapize. Like it is but I really feel like it's it's become more so just so few of us have anyone ever really talked to us in that way outside of that space. Mm-hmm. You know, like and and it's I had a I have a, a homeboy who had said, like, there's just so many lives that could have been saved if you would just say, Are hey, you good? Right. Like in a real way. Yes. Um, because he was like, you know, I just think of how many times like I wasn't good and it was very clear but no one felt comfortable in their own not goodness to even address my not goodness you know what I'm saying and so when we make space and we we exhibit kind of just an open space for someone to like express um you know we find ourselves in that too but I definitely have had to I I feel like I've learned in therapy how to be a, a a better vessel for folks
0: man you know and and so much of so much of what creates uh, um in in someone and that's something i identify with but this warrior spirit is like this really is driven by a deep sense of both love and care and concern for people and a hatred for their suffering especially when it comes from um, when, when it comes from things that aren't natural. When it comes there from. There you like, are. It's like I care because I know what it feels like to be alienated, to be hated, to be dehumanized. Mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to not be safe. I know what it feels like to not be good. I know mm-hmm. what that feels like. And I'm able to ex- see that in other people. And I know that this is not happening because of the way the weather is. This isn't happening because of the natural course of the human condition. Right. Like we're doing this to each other. And yep. what's allowing us or what's, what's perpetuating it is that the people who speak up about, about this array of stuff that we're just like pantheon of evil that we're dealing with. is like people are so like, I will become a target for saying these things.
1: I've It's happened yeah I mean i've 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 marveled simultaneously, you know, at, as I, I as I have struggled, I have simultaneously marveled at the willingness to misinterpret help.
0: um <laughs> it's <laughs> misinterpreted help. How many people are canceled for misinterpreting?
1: <laughs> like, you don't see what I'm trying to do here? Right, like, right,
0: right, right, right. You know, and, yeah, yeah. and
1: so much of that is just unresolved trauma, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had people like just tell me straight up like that what I'm saying is not what it is. Even mm-hmm. my man, like we had to work through like you're used to people lying to you so you don't believe that what I'm saying is what it is because you're used to ulterior motives or you're used to, you know deceitfulness I don't I don't have that as a mechanism Mm -hmm. in me so you know which for some people is a problem some people they don't like that they're like I need you to be deceitful because it makes it easier for me to feel comfortable in my natural way of being deceitful I don't have that as like a a way I'm not saying that I don't have my own shit but that's not one of my things Mm -hmm. right now being condescending now that's my jam Okay, you want to talk about jams. (laughs) I can condescend, baby. That's my (laughs) thing. But deceitfulness and manipulation, that ain't ain't me. Um, And then some people will feel like, oh, you're being coercive. And it's like, no, I'm being compelling. I'm being articulate about my point, Mm -hmm. and it's changing your mind. And so you feel like I'm coercing you because I'm changing your mind Mm -hmm. with actual compelling arguments. You 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 trying to manipulate me. No. I'm just stating things in an articulate fashion that mm-hmm. make it difficult for you to continue along with the bullshit lie you've told yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that feels like manipulation because yeah. it's powerful. Yeah. But so so when you show up in the world like that, people will come for you. And so there's been so many times where I've shown up in the world from a place of help and it's it looked at as you're being manipulative. I show up in the world as a place of Help and it's like you're or clout are clout chasing. That's my favorite one. I'm like chasing clout from who? From you? You, <laughs> you approving of me is not something I'm gonna chase, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had to learn the hard way. Um, you know, different methods for for administering advocacy. And okay. that's its own journey.
0: Yeah yeah you know it's, it's really challenging man it's, it's incredibly challenging especially when you have people that it's are exhausting that are at oh my god that are asking you like even sometimes our own fan bases or like our listeners or supporters or the people that receive what we that were like willing you know receivers of what we're putting in the world it can be very challenging with like how do i introduce these things to you in a way that you know because i know that there are things that you might not see you know part of why we're here is because i'm seeing things that you don't see and that's mm-hmm. part of why i'm valuable to you and mm-hmm. offering those things in a way that doesn't feel like an assault on you know on some very deep level you know like the number of my times my manager that I've,
1: mm, oh go ahead no go ahead go ahead
0: i mean i've just been disowned by white people over and over and over again you know like i i've had this um you know, experience like being albino and i was my parents are white i was raised by black people and then um you know got good at rhyming along the way and so there's a you know these people that are like oh like that they see the picture and they're like oh that's me and wow he's good and all the other black the, the blacks seem to respect him so like that's me <laughs> and you know but then once it's like at first, I didn't know how to feel about that. And then I got to a place where I'm like, oh, this is this is actually my a big part of my work is to like to talk to these people about these realities. Yes. And it's been very challenging because I I, I can be very quickly disowned. You well, know what
1: I mean? you're not to be owned by them. Hmm. The disowning is whiteness as a group is not anything to find home in
0: Mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's homeless homeless by design
1: it's just it's just you know and i i know people hear that and they're like she's racist which is also its own bullshit but at the end of the day whiteness was only created for oppression Mm -hmm. the concept (laughs) of whiteness is only about oppression and it has never it has never evolved past that Blackness was created for the purpose of oppression but it has evolved past that by hook or by crook right by by spite by necessity it has evolved into well, culture by the
0: deep truth of 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 human by but that the human being is actually the representative of the creator in the world like that's the deep spiritual truth that that just purses through no matter what no matter what's thrown at it you know whatever falsehood is thrown at it it just the deep humanity of the of the first humans always comes through
1: it comes through mm-hmm. now does it continue to be challenged and defeated you know by forces of darkness and of evil yes um this is you know as someone who just watched every episode of our prehistoric world this is a this is a long this earth time is very long mm. it's very long black americans earth time is is a blip you know we are very new um to the concept of our place in this story on this pale blue dot mm. and you know in 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 the comparison to like the amount of time other cultures have been in existence we are still in an infancy we're still in an infancy so that's why there's a certain level of of grace that i have for us in our stumbling mm. through dividing and con- divide and conquer and our stumbling through mistrusting each other, et cetera, et cetera, because we are so new. Um, and I, but when it comes to this concept of like being owned and disowned, you know, there, there also is just the, the true reality of nuance mm-hmm. that you simply can't categorize people within this racial makeup and let that be the thing that categorizes them as a as a human like their mm-hmm. character is not going to be determined by this racial makeup mm-hmm. there's plenty of full bone black folks that are anti black you know it's just they they have for whatever reason they have completely um Taken on and embodied the concept of whiteness as an oppression, as an oppressive measure, white supremacy, and you know they've they have found quote unquote their home in it. Mm-hmm. But you, that ain't your home. Mm-hmm. So they can disown you all they want because they never had you. You were never a part of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you needed to know that, but I'm just telling you.
0: I appreciate you. I appreciate you deeply. You know, but I, you know what I see so often is your your t- your truth-telling and the way that the that the people that you're speaking to respond to you so often you know what I mean and that that type of um you know just people castigating us it, and I think so much of it has to do it seems as an observer that um I heard you say actually once that people don't like to be corrected in general but people really being hate being corrected by women
1: oh yes and then I'm like cute what mm-hmm. how dare I Right. I'm supposed to shut up. I'm supposed to just shut up and be pretty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just wear something tight. <laughs> turn around yeah. on accident every now and then.
1: Yeah. Come yeah. on, bend over. Yeah, no. Um, mm. I'm gonna wear this turtleneck and I'm gonna be cute. <laughs> and and I mean, for all intents and purposes, all of that heat comes from this internet. I've never experienced that in real life. Mm. Only one time, and it was by Remy Ma. And you know, then you find out later that she's in the midst of madness. And two weeks later, she's in prison. Mm -hmm. And eight years later, we see each other again. And she's like, my bad. (laughs) And we have a whole reconciliation. It was beautiful. And, you know, I am a huge believer in redemption. Mm -hmm. And I do not believe a leopard can't change its spots. Um, I am we're not leopards. So so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> like we get new moles all the time. Um
0: <laughs> we have them removed. Uh some people have I mean listen. Put in drawn on? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, you know, it, you can't believe you can't believe that and believe in in therapy and healing, like you just mm-hmm. the two can't coincide right. in That's the same right. space That's right.
0: and That's time. That's right. That's right. Or spirituality. Right? Or yeah. You just like my boy Shaka Senghor him. is
1: one of the one of the greatest people I know. And Shaka did ten years in prison for murder. You mm-hmm. know, and you know by by the grace of God and Allah and Dumbledore and everybody. Tupac. You know, he he made it not only out of prison, but he made it out of that soul space of mm-hmm. darkness that mm-hmm. he had been assigned to mm-hmm. and was able to choose a different path mm-hmm. right so um you know it was beautiful to to see you know remy have that same experience but i i say all that to say that like i've been very, very fortunate to in the analog interactions with people not have that type of vitriol and um I don't know if that's because, you know, people are phony behind the keyboards or if it's because like my energy just like dissolves it like in real life, but,
0: (laughs) but, (laughs) they didn't know I had crystals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know the amethyst that was going to break all that down. Uh. But at the, at at the, at the, at like, at the root of it all, Mm. it's just this internet is built for your vices to really thrive. And for your pain to really live out its truth. And, you know, people will tell me like, Amanda, you know, I see you in love and you're so different now. And I'm just like, thank you. Like, I get it. Like I get the compliment, but I also had to be real with myself that it's like, there was a certain anger that was coming out regardless of whether I wanted it to or not, Um, based on just where I was at in my journey of, like, self-awareness and whatnot, right? And Mm -hmm. I think there's a part of me, too, that, like, didn't want to admit that finding this comfort space with this person, like, this true, honest comfort space with this person, that, like, that it brought me a level of healing because then you're like, I don't want to be a codependent, you know, and I don't want... But it did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just what it is. In the makeup of Amanda, it has... You know, it, it wasn't the banana split, but it's the cherry on top. And I mean, who doesn't want the cherry on top?
0: Everybody does. You know, I, so many times like when we have this these, this like inner calling and it's like clearly our work. It's our gift and it's also our responsibility. Um, you know, we have to come out here and we have to become soldiers and we have to become warriors for what we're doing.
1: Warriors of light. Mm-hmm.
0: so often you know we get in this place where we're 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 always the outspoken one we're always the <laughs> one saying the thing that nobody else wants to say i heard you telling a story one time about being in a workspace and everyone was talking about somebody and so you went to them and just was like hey just so you know everybody's talking about you and i don't mm-hmm. know if you care or not but just so you know this is people are navigating you with this opinion and i and didn't that want,
1: same person mm, That same person, because it was at Insecure, and Mm -hmm. that same person Mm -hmm. took it upon himself to be the only voice to come forward from that space to publicly vilify me Mm -hmm. in something that he had nothing to do with.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But I was the only person from that space who had made it my business to come to him and let him know they are all publicly vilifying you behind your back. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Again, folks do not be identifying the helpers. (laughs)
0: You know, and what's so, what's so, is like, so often we feel like, at, like, am I crazy? You know, I think one of the oh, main things God. about people like you just being in the world, like usually when I hit you, I'm like, yo, just thank you for just being you in the world. Cause it just really gives me so much, but it's like, am I crazy? And we see somebody else who's clearly navigating such similar space. It's like, okay. If I'm crazy, I'm not crazy alone. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? that's
1: become my purpose, Ali. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like at this point, my purpose is to i I'm not an activist. I don't like that word. it's weird i'm not an I'm not an organizer. Mm-hmm. That's like true real on the ground work, right? right right i um you know, Erica Ford, who is an incredible organizer and has been at this work forever, she mm-hmm. was like, Amanda, you're the bullhorn. You're the bullhorn to amplify the things that need to be said for the people that not only may not believe it, but also (laughs) to affirm the people who need to be reaffirmed that they're not losing their damn minds (laughs) so that they can keep up the fight. And I was like, oh, yeah,
0: you You know, so often when we get in these spaces, though, so like uh, we're, we're usually accused of being, you know, of exaggerating or extra. we're accused of, um, yeah, being extra. And then also that we, that we might be doing this for some kind of personal reason that, you know, you're just bitter because this and that. And the reality is that we do sometimes make mistakes in assessing things. We do, we're a human, a full person. So we have a spirit and an intellect and we also have an ego. And so sometimes there is that in there. How, what kind of, what kind of method do you and and that's one of the worst things? Like when you're always outspoken, the time when you actually do make a mistake and you speak out oh. and you're actually wrong, it's just like, man, these people are gonna th- this is gonna be the reason why everything I say is 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 a tr- is is alive from now on. But how, how do you, what's your own personal um like how do you navigate that within yourself that you that you so often find yourself having to be this voice, but also being human and also making mistakes and also having inconsistencies shortcomings sometimes compromised intentions and just everything that comes along with being a human being
1: i mean me and charlotte talk about this all the time because people just will not let that man evolve Mm. (laughs) like charlotte seems to
0: really love you like just seeing, see, he does. Seeing, seeing I'm not talking to him right now. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> but, not, I don't no, know. No, that's like
1: we're we're having a brother sister fight right now. <laughs>
0: like, I, I, I'm gonna I see I him on see, Thursday. I, I see the way. I see the way that he supports you, and it's. I really. I'm glad that that exists because I'd be one. And I, I'm. I'm gonna ask about that in a second, but you know, I'm. I'm happy to see the way that he that you all are there for each other. It's really important and beautiful.
1: You know, there's um. We talk about just, and I said this in the beginning of the podcast. We talk about just how we go through those spaces and what is it that grounds us. And it's reminding yourself about how much work you've put in mm-hmm. and that you haven't arrived in this space by accident. You haven't arrived in this space by some outward validation. You know, you've arrived in this space by sincere, grounded effort. And so. If you make a mistake, it's a sincere mistake.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like and and I think there's also just the truth in the matter that I really challenge myself and I really ask myself, like, did you was that a sincere mistake? What was the, what was behind that? You know? Mm, and I really mm, try mm, and mm. look and get into the the nooks and crannies of my subconscious because we are sponges and we are taking in energy that we may not be conscious of. And I try to be, you know, when I make a mistake or feel like I've made a mistake, I mean I'm gonna put myself through the the hardest analysis before anybody else mm-hmm. you know and once i go through all of that and trust me i have a committee you know i'm gonna do myself and then i'm gonna go to the committee you know i have the am i tripping committee you know they're gonna get that call okay so am i tripping yes okay am i tripping but you know and you're gonna assess the responses that you get from there um but that to me is like i don't feel like a lot of people do that kind of work about things you know they just are like oh well whatever and i'm not saying that necessarily that's for everybody but i know that as a particularly as a public speaker and as a truth translator for folks that i should be putting myself through those checks and balances um and so that's how i manage things and it's And if I really feel like I just am, like, at a loss, like, I'll call my therapist. Like, I need to run this through, you know, because she has such a history of my experiences that sometimes she'll be like, well, that's, what that is is actually this. And you're like, oh, my God. Mm. I had no idea, Mm. you know? I remember when I realized that I was a codependent you just start doing the map of that and you're like, so that's this? Mm Mm-hmm. Shut up. (laughs) But it's... (laughs) It's dope so though. Because then you why, start. Why do
0: I keep getting with weak people? And you realize, like, oh, you 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 need them to validate your, your. By helping them, you're needing them to validate you, and to, Ooh, you were using them the whole time yeah. and thinking that yeah, uh, you, I may have heard something. You about
1: thought that. they was the toxic, but you was the toxic too. Ah! Yeah. It's that it's that uh, the Krabby Krab meme where he's just like, ah! yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. You was the toxic too. Ain't that something. And and
0: I mean, and you know, and that's the real test of how sincere we are with offering advice. Like when we get difficult advice, how do we respond to it? And those are the things with, with with me, like taking a minute to really sit with, you know, sometimes the advice that I'm that I'm being given is challenging. And like, how do I respond to this? And and what kind of education is there in this for me for what it's like to be to be advised, you know what I mean, if if not criticized, if not corrected yeah
1: it's um it's it's really just again holding yourself to a certain standard mm-hmm. and making that a part of your practice it's just kung fu um i say it's just kung fu as if kung fu is easy but but that's what it is it's a practice you know like the kung fu, you fu trolls have a, are
0: gonna come for you on that one
1: i'm <laughs> <laughs> she <laughs> thinks she is! Um, and, you know, and 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 that practice and discipline shows up in different ways. Like, I don't feel like I'm the most disciplined person when it comes to working out, um, like my physical body. Like, I don't feel like I have discipline in that regard, but I have incredible discipline in my. Um, in accountability.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I ha- I could be far more disciplined in my mental, um, in my spiritual space. I could be far more disciplined in my meditating and in my gratitude, et cetera. And it's a constant work, but, but I've committed to the work and that's a new level of discipline. Right. So, but I have to, because like for the amount of output that I give, I have to pour into myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I'm, if I'm just seeking the exchange, that was something also and I have to dip soon because I have a call, but mm-hmm. that was something also that I really learned in this pandemic in a in a, in a a way that I wasn't expecting to. But Smart, Funny, and Black, we started doing virtual versions of the show. And the first virtual show that we did, I gave all of my energy to this screen. Mm-hmm. But it's virtual. I ain't getting none of that back.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And the next day, when I tell you I was depleted, mm-hmm. I was in like a whole depression mm-hmm. the next day. And I was like, trying to figure out, like, what is this? But it was because I had basically, like, depleted my stores <laughs> mm-hmm. of, of uh, you know, endorphins. And, you know, it's like when people do ecstasy and they bought them out the next day. It's like, that's basically what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn over the course of doing those live shows where I'm not getting that immediate pour back into. I had to learn how to be more conscious of of how I... You know, release that. It's like in Harlem Nights when dude gets locked in the vault in the safe, and he's like, "I can't breathe," and he has to start going. (laughs) You know, you you gotta learn how to do that, but the other way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've had to learn how to
1: do that in part two because, like, you know, Mm. you can only see so many police brutality videos in one day that you can't do nothing about. You know, Mm -hmm. people send me that all the time, and I'm like, I hear you, and I appreciate you. I can't do nothing about this yes like this particular instance i can amplify but i am not an agent for change in this Like i am not going to change the way this police department is operating like that is not i can be a part of that change by amplifying but i also know like the limitations of my of my reach right, right. and so you know you'll have people that will dm you about stuff and you just have to be like i i don't have the means yeah. to 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 fix this yeah
0: you like know? I would love to be all of this, but I'm a human vessel and I didn't create myself and I have limitations. And if I exceed those limitations- I'm also limitations,
1: a comedian.
0: <laughs> right. And you know, like yeah, I'm a com- yeah.
1: I'm a, I'm an artist at the end of the day. I'm yes. an incredibly like radical minded person in that regard, but I'm also not, I am not on staff at the ACLU, you know, like I'm not Tamika, I'm not Tamika Mallory. I don't have a foundation that is committed and supported to this like i can tap you into those those spaces and to those people but i myself like that isn't actually my purpose and getting real with myself about that was Mm -hmm. also like part of this pandemic you know that that i i am of this even if that's not how i'm showing up right now to this
0: you've been so generous with the time i'm gonna let you go but i'm not gonna hold you but um, curious to know, you know, with someone as outspoken as you are and strong as you are, what's your circle like? Like, what, what is, what is when you talk about the text committee? Like, what is your, not asking necessarily for names of who the people are, but like, what does that look like for you? And what advice do you have for people that are that are looking to to build a strong circle to make us accountable and hold us and pour back into us when we need it and all of the above?
1: My circle has the same values as me. And it's taken a long time to be able to identify that and to be fair with myself when I identify that someone isn't upholding those same values and thus should no longer be a part of the circle. Mm-hmm. And my my man had said something yesterday that he had heard about in this men's group he's a part of. And the, one of the men in the men's group said, you know, it's reaching that point where you realize that just because someone is no longer your friend doesn't mean they're your enemy. Yeah. And that's a real thing. You know, for me, loyalty is incredibly important. Yes. Um, particularly just because of how I show up in the world. I need mm-hmm. people who are going to show up for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, there's been some unfortunate just demonstrations of behavior that let you know that, like, this person doesn't love you how you love.
0: That's right. That's right. That's
1: and it's right. okay for them to now, to no longer have access to you in that way. Mm-hmm. Boundaries, baby. Yeah. They're real. But that's, that, to me, is what my circle looked like. My circle looks like people who have the same values as me that I mentioned earlier. People who... And also people who literally just value me. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, who when we have a disagreement, at the end of the day, we both know that we value each other, so right. we're going to get there.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: It may take yeah. some time, but we are, we're going to get there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because we know how much we value each other. Yeah. That's such a bottom line basic way it's like if someone's not making the effort to preserve what y'all have it's what are you doing right and you know what that is mm-hmm. some of you lie to yourself but you know what that is like there was somebody that I I thought I was really tight with and then they did some weird maneuvery stuff and it made me be like dang like that was mean like that was some mean like real mean girl moves Mm -hmm. and when I looked at the history of that person they are somebody who preserves relationships that matter to them and I've seen them do it with with other folks and I've seen them do it in other spaces for various reasons so when I saw them do something that they knew was problematic and I gave space for it to be resolved and they still were very like it's fine it was like oh I understand yeah of course, then your mom says, well, I always felt that way. I always knew that they were full of it. And you're mm. like, thanks for that. Yeah, my, my, my wife
0: is that way. Like I've, <laughs> I've found myself in that space over and over again where I, I show up and once I feel like where I'm close with somebody, I just will give them everything, 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 everything. And I didn't even realize that what I wanted in return from them was that as well. So sometimes I had expectations that I never really communicated because I didn't know I had to. Right? You know, and then sometimes... Because it just I seemed looked, like that's like, the natural... Exchange. Yeah. And and I realized like they never gave me any indication that they would be there for me in that way. <laughs> now that I look back, like, at what point did this person say, just because you would take a bullet from me means I would take a bullet for you? Like, oh, they never said that. And uh-huh. yeah, that's a challenging that's a challenging <laughs> piece. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. It's a doozy, but it's yeah. so freeing. It's mm-hmm. so freeing once you um once you can identify it, mm-hmm. because you also then start to know that it's the big, the biggest advice I can give people is it's quality over quantity, and that's like with basically everything in your life, even the money you make. Because at a certain point, when it's no longer just the hustle and the money is coming, if you only if you making it in methods that don't serve yeah. your heart,
0: yes, yeah, then
1: the quality of that. Is not more valuable than the quantity.
0: You know, Yassine Bey is one of my dear friends, and he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, "When you when you do something just for money that actually violates your principles, like he's mm-hmm. somebody that like Hollywood is like, please, please, Mr. Bey, come be in our movies." <laughs> and he's just like, "No, I don't want to. I don't like it. I, I don't like <laughs> this movie." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they're yep. like, "Please do this. Please be a movie star." And he's like, "No, I just want to. Yeah. I just want to love my kids and be with God." you know he said you know if you do something that violates who you're about or the way that you want to even feel like you don't even like the way it feels just for money then you'll end up hating that money and the the only thing you can do to to feel better about the about this big uh Compromise that you just made, or, or deeper, deeper than a compromise. Like uh, you just betrayed. It's a it's a betrayal of self that you just did. Yeah. And you only did it for the money. So blowing that money on something stupid that makes you feel good for a minute is the only way to make it right. So like you're gonna mess up that money if you get it if if, mm-hmm. you, if you do something just for the money. Every
1: time. Every time. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's again. I love like when you make those bottom lines for yourself because it makes decisions. So much easier to make. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't do that. I'll be doing it just for the money. Well, all right. Like, if I my my bottom line is there's three parts to everything. It's like there's the money, there's the people, there's the content. If two of those things are not in line, there has to be at least two of those things in line for me to do it. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. But this has made sense. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for for being yourself and for living out loud and for uh, just being so real and so human. And for you know sharing not only the, your amazing art and the, the amazing things you have to say, but also for your process and for your heart and Thank you. for sharing your pain and all of that is it's really it's really deeply educational and inspiring and it's really above all your work like you are your work is great you're even greater than the work some people you meet them and it's like <laughs> oh, thanks, the honey. best thing about you is this song you sang 10 years ago like you <laughs> sure you're, you're kind of well. i'm saying i, I really hope I it, from feeling. artist to artist from artist to artist i hope one day you make the the art that's as dope as you but uh Thank just you. you being you whatever you do in this world we're grateful to you and we're grateful for you loving and man you really deeply
1: Appreciate you, Ali. The feeling is mutual. The feeling is mutual. Y'all come on out to a show. Amanda Seals, I'm back on tour. This the Black Outside Again tour is hitting the road. And um, I'll be in Minneapolis. And uh, I'll be in Indianapolis. I'll be all over this nation. I'm very excited to be back in front of folks, telling them jokes and affirming that they're not crazy.
0: Dope. Dope, dope, dope. Much left. Peace, peace. Thank you. Thank you. We did it. I want to give a special shout out to Amanda Seals and thank her so much for her generosity and her time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, If you're watching the podcast, you see, and if you're listening, you can hear. Amanda is sitting in her house and, you know, someone is doing her hair she's preparing for whatever she had coming up next. You know what I'm saying? And then you hear all this loud stuff going on in the basement in her kitchen downstairs because her kitchen is being remodeled and she's talking into her mic. And there's times where she's talking loud because she's talking over the, the remodeling work that's going on in the background. And it's just so dope to see how hard she's fought and how hard she's worked and how real she's been about and just generous she's been in sharing herself and her journey with all of us, you know, I'm profoundly inspired by her. So I'm just very, very grateful to her. Again, shout out to Aida Rashid, who reminded me that Amanda would be a great person to have on the show, Uh, you know, very, very grateful. Uh, As always head to brotherali.com. That's the best place to stay up on the podcast and also sign that mailing list. We've got new stuff coming and the mailing list people hear about it first. Uh, if you want to be a part of what we're doing, there's, if you head to the section called join, um, there's a what we call a caravan, which is our version of like Patreon or something like that. But it's a way for people to subscribe and engage on deeper levels uh, with the work that we're doing, the podcasting, the new music, and there's new music coming, uh, the shows that we do, the touring that we do, the merchandise that we have, and there's new merchandise coming, all kind of dope new things coming. So... The caravan and the mailing list, those are the people that get it first. As always, we give a special shout out and thanks to Amna Mirza and Mansur Panawala and Ant and Mark from Medina, uh, who did the stamp logo for the podcast. Special shout to Aida Rashid. Special shout to Darian Washington. Special shout to DJ Last Word. The Travelers podcast is produced by Brendan BK1 Kelly and is a... Uh, it is a, um, what is it, a product, a production <laughs> of Travelers Media. Much love. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.